Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. All right, welcome to this edition of Firefighting Fridays. I'm Jeff Diedrich with Strategic Fire Training. Uh, around the group today, we have Jeff Shoup, Jerry Knapp, and Chad Gruber. And today we're going to get into the subject of culture in the firehouse, culture in the engine house, culture of the fire service. We're going to use some of our experience that we've encountered over the years from different parts of the country and uh, trying to offer you guys some things to take away and maybe either help rectify your culture or even help you build your culture to begin with if you're one of those people that are really in a, in a budding new type of fire service out there. Um, Jeff, let's, I'd like to always start with the historical perspective. So what are some of the things about the fire service culture that you became aware of as a young guy and then where the culture was when you were on your way out uh, and then where do you see the fire service culture going? Wow. Uh, in interesting. Uh, the way you're proposing that. So as you guys well know, I go back to the early 70s when I came into the fire service. And when you were hired in back then, you were going to go uh, through a period, number one, your probationary period. And that's where they found out more things about you aside from what you went through in the hiring process. That's where they were found out what your temperament was going to be like and how well you were going to take jokes and how well you were going to perform and did you have the right attitudes and so forth uh, to do the job. Because back then, firefighting was, was uh, I won't say completely, but very much different from today because if you take a look at just one simple thing, the protective gear that we wore back then uh, most firefighters today have no idea that uh, about three-quarter boots or helmets without impact caps or uh, demand-type breathing apparatus or no breathing apparatus because you were uh, in, an, in a profession that was very proud to be known as smoke eaters. So all this was, was part of the culture back then about becoming a member of the team. And would you put up with all that stuff, like uh, pushing yourself into that smoky environment, eating smoke and what have you? And then the other thing was uh, around the firehouse, if there was going to be jokes played, generally it was going to be on the new guy, you know. And I was the butt of jokes just like anybody else. And, you know, you look back and you think we survived them and they were some of them were, were funny as can be. You know, and of course, as I went on through my my time in the job and people were hired years after I come on the job and, you know, the jokes were still being played. You know, some people today, I I, I uh, think they, they would probably ha have a, a fit if they if they were uh, the butt of jokes like back then. But like I said, it was all par uh, part of the the. Uh, 
process of coming into the job to see how well you could take that. You know, I, I remember uh, hearing that very plainly from older people. I said, don't worry about a kid because it's all part of the job. And it, and it really was. As time has gone on and we've seen other people and other uh, other uh, uh, how do I say it? Uh, other things happening within the job from a political standpoint and then the uh, the lawyers getting involved in this, you know, you can't do this, this hurts this person's feelings or whatever. It, it's changed a lot of the, the, the job around. One of the things when you come on a job back, back then in those early times was that you listened to the senior people. They had been there, they had done the job and if you showed that you were going to be part of the team and so forth, you were probably going to have a senior firefighter helping you along the way, teaching you things along the way, how to do things and so forth. Because like I said, they've been there, they've done that. And if they would take you under the, your wing, if you were lucky enough to have a good senior firefighter, uh, you, you hit the lottery there for that particular yeah. uh, thing right there. We picked up a new member, our newest member, uh, Micah Heideman is. Uh, popped in to help join us with the discussion. Uh, Jeff, I was going to ask you, don't you think it's reasonable that newer people to the organization, they should expect to work harder, put up with more. They're becoming part of something that's bigger than them themselves. They they, they should understand. And, and it, maybe it takes somebody actually explaining this to them. Um, but they are the junior guy person. They are the one that's going to have to shoulder some more time and personal interest to get along, correct? Absolutely. Everyone who comes on the job should be on probation. That probationary time is to see if that person is going to fit into the job. And during that time, let's say it's a year's probation, like I was telling you earlier, that's where you want to see if this person is going to be a fit, if they're going to be willing to go out of their way to put up with the things that uh, go with the, uh, being in the position of being a probationary or new or recruit uh, firefighter on a fire department. When you get out of the academy, or excuse me, when, it, when a new person comes out of the academy, and gets hired on the department and sent to a firehouse, they should be expected to be doing a lot more than just sitting around. For example, uh, and let me clarify that. In other words, they should be the one who's getting out there on the apparatus, on the equipment, anything that needs to be done, seeing where they're going to fit into the team. If you got somebody who's allowed to come out of the academy into the firehouse and act like they've been on a job five or 10 or 15 years already, you're looking for a future problem on your department. That's one of the things that will kill your culture quicker than anything. You see, if some people are allowed to slide through their probationary time and their early years on the job, they won't have any respect for the job. And of course, if they have friends who come on the job, which we see in some departments or many departments out there, where they say, I ah, don't worry about that or don't listen to that stuff or don't worry, they won't you know, make you do this. Yeah, it's all a bunch of you know, yelling and screaming, but it's really not uh, meaningful. Then you destroyed your culture and you destroyed your traditions. And that's where the boss has got to be the bosses and the senior firefighters should be the senior firefighters. And if there is a problem with a young firefighter 
especially in probation, uh, then it needs to be straightened out in that period of time right there. Matt, I don't think that you can you can't do that unless you set expectations. I mean, let, let's let's kind of look at it like if we don't if, if the if the young people don't understand the expectation, how can you come at them with with a structured discipline or training if they never had the expectation that, hey, you need to be here at such and such time. You're expected to do these things, these details as a young person. You're expected to drill. You're expected to keep learning and reading and on and on and on. Uh, if I can pitch to Jerry real quick. Jerry, setting expectations for young people, I think it sets the table uh, for respect going in each direction, up and down the line. What do you think? Yeah, Jeff, I agree. I think you hit the nail on the head. When you enter the fire service um, and the expectation is you keep doing your job until you physically can't do it any longer. And, and that's not what the other trades see. You know, the the other trades have a break at 945 and they have their coffee or whatever, right? Well, you know, when you come into the fire service, you you just have to get the job done. And, and, and again, it's until you just can't do it any longer. I think that's the big expectation that that's the that's the culture change from a civilian into a firefighter. And I think all the I hate to use the word hazing, but all the things you all just talked about lead up to that. And that's that's the expected change. So I, I think you're exactly right. And a lot of that is mental toughness. I mean, oh, yeah. having, you know, explaining to them that you are going to be tired, you are going to be frustrated and fed up, and there's going to be hard times. Uh, and you need to have your mind right to the point where you're going to push through and continue to perform, whether it's, you know, on a fire scene or getting up in the middle of the night for what you would seem as a, a worthless ambulance call. I mean, yeah, this this is what you signed up for. You're expected to to get to it and do it with uh, a pep in your step. Um, Chad, how's it going? How's it going working with your younger generation there? Are you able to set expectations? And then more importantly, if you can think about something that you've done in your either on your shift or in your firehouse that's helped your crew identify themselves as your guys? Is there something there, like something that we can get into identity? Okay. So there's a couple things that I, I mean, there's something I do with my crew. And like I said, guys, y'all all know, y'all follow me. I think when we first started this show, I had just promoted. So now I'm two and a half, three years into being an officer. And, you know, I watched our first show on culture and I've changed a lot since then. And um, it goes you know, we, you, you, you hit, there has to be respect for the senior men. Well, there also has to be respect from the senior men for the younger firefighters. As and people. It's, two, it's a two-way street. Sure. Um, you know, uh, they, it's, they're going to get what they put into it. And, you know, I, I kind of set my crew up the way Shoot told me to do it. I'm very blessed. Um, I have a great senior man. I mean, senior man for my department, he's got 10, 11 years, but that's my senior guy. Everybody else is below that. And he does all the bad work for me. I mean, he sets the expectations. 
And if there's a problem, it doesn't come from the officer. It comes from the senior man, and he handles it before he gets to me. I look at the senior man as like a thermostat. And so when they're, he can keep them cool, and he can keep me cool, and he keeps everybody on the same level. And he does a great job of it, and I'm very blessed. But something you said, where do I get the uh, – how do I get the identity and how do I get them to buy in? I was taking notes while y'all were talking about the new generation. I don't know if y'all are seeing it up here, up there. I mean, but down here where we have a lot of small fire departments, it is not like when I hired on where, okay, I'm an Addison firefighter. I'm going to be here for the next 30 years. These rookies are coming in. They're staying for three to five years and jump into another department. And a lot of it's more money. A lot of it's more, there's more growth. There's more promotion. But what, what I learned was, is that a lot of them are going to stay because of the culture of your house. And so, you know, I talked about it and I'll, I'll give him credit. Uh, Scott Thompson wrote his book and it, it had, he talked about microcultures. And so what I try to do with my guys is I try to focus and on being the best firefighter our crew needs to be the best crew there is. And how do I get that? And I get them and I let them decide. I go, guys, you know, I just had a meeting last week. Hey, we've been six months into this year. Let's talk. What are we doing good? What are we doing bad? What do y'all want to work on? What do y'all want to get better on? And we all do it together. And I think that's the important thing. Even as officers, yes, the senior men do need to train. They are responsible to teach the younger guys, the younger firefighters. But they also have to do the same training. You know, nobody's above doing the training. And the officer needs to get out there and do it with them. And usually I try to be the first one to go. So if I mess up, it gives everybody else permission. Hey, that's what training's for. That's why we do this. If I don't get it perfect, that's great. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to do it one more time. Uh, I know. Is that kind of what you're looking yeah, for, Jeff? That's kind of where I'm looking for. I mean, uh, Jeff's given us a lot of lot to work on here with the uh how it was many years ago and then and and jerry's talked about how we're you know we we need to set expectations for good reasons and then as far as the identity goes we're, we're talking about how do we make how do we make our people feel like they're part of this engine house so what i did and i had to explain who they were to some people to some of my guys, I told the guys that I wanted them to adopt this, a, a, a station two engine culture, whether it's a Quint, an engine, whatever. I want us to be known for something. And I want us to be the Lone Rangers and not in a bad way, but if you remember the Lone Ranger show, what they said at the end of every show. And I asked one of my guys that, and he goes, I hope silver away. I go close, but <laughs> close. But they said, who was that mask man? Who was that crew that came in? He, he helped. He made everything better. And then he went away without being thanked. And I said, guys, we are low key. We go in. We let our actions speak, not us. Now, how do we get to do that? We have to be able to get our hose lines off the engine in less than 60 seconds. We have to be able to get a ram going in 90 seconds. We need to be able to mask up in 15 to 20 seconds. I want us in there. And when and what they don't hear is when I check into the battalion and I take the line from shoot, I go, hey, sir, we're here. Where do you want this fire stopped? And that's just the culture that our engine crew carries. And 
is still working and, and it gives the young kids. And then of course I make them watch a couple episodes of the long ranger. And, uh, <laughs> and if I can get them off their phones, but, uh, but we watch it together. And I said, guys, that's kind of what I'm seeing. If y'all want to go a different way, let's do it. And what I'm hoping is where I say, Hey, we have these people that are leaving in three to five years. If they feel like they're a part of something, I hope they'll stay long, you know, and then I do, I do try to say, Hey guys, let's go see Pat Green in concert for those up in the North. That's a Texas country guy. So, you know, we have shift outings where we'll do things together and try to make them feel like a family. Go ahead, Jeff. I know you want in on this. Yeah, I got to say you've done it the right way, because if you if it's coming from you as the company officer, telling those new people or young people in your firehouse what their expectations are and that if you got problems, you take them through the senior man then you're doing it the right way. I think so. I think that it, that, that the senior people have a lot, oh, they've got a tremendous amount of gravity. And if you don't, if you don't feed that and give them what that senior people are, if you don't give them what they're due, they can work against you just by not doing anything. I mean, if you, an, an idle set of hands as a senior person can really uh, shoot the ship in the foot. So, um, and, 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 you know, and one of the things that I'm so blessed with with my guy is he's the first one to want to train because I've seen some senior people that don't want to have anything to do with it. I've done this for 15, 10 years. You know, I've done this for so many years. Why am I doing it again? And so that's why I say, hey, the officer has to be the first one to do the training because that gives everybody. Nobody has an excuse not to do it if he doesn't do it. Yeah. Mike, I, I've been I've been waiting to get to you on this one um, because I think you got a lot to offer on this. So, you know, we've been getting into the culture, talking about you know the the expectations and and the identity. But what's some of the things that you've seen going from a small organization to a large organization? You probably got an interesting perspective on what works and, and what doesn't. Yeah, that's uh, man. We had this. Can you hear me? Okay. All right. So we had this conversation what, like 40 months or 40 months ago, almost three years ago over that. And uh, it's funny because that question is so paramount right now at KCK fire department. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, we're about 450 men fire department and uh, 19 stations. And, and I went from, Manhattan, Kansas, the KCK, where Manhattan had um, only five stations, 60,000 people in population, uh, to KCK with 170,000, 19 stations, 450 people. And the cultures are so different. Um, if you want to start at the 30,000 foot view, um, the KCK culture is you, you have the shirt on your back. You're known as KCK firefighter who are, who are aggressive and run a ton of calls and then you bump that you bump that down a little bit more to your different stations as what you guys were talking about earlier so then you start talking about culture at that fire company and that firehouse and that pride that comes with that house so there's another set of um, a different altitude of culture within that firehouse that you kind of need to um, seek out 
And that's what I did. I, I came on the KCK. I let my actions speak for my words. I, I filtered in a lot of good information or filtered out a lot of bad information. Um, a lot of the guys, senior men, officers, newbies, they all came to me with some information and I, I answered their questions and what they did with it. They actually, I think, has helped our fire department exceed in some of the uh, philosophies that they thought the way to do things is the only way to do things. And then you get some new buck in there with 15 years on the job. They said, well, there's, there's different ways you can skin this cat. And they just were never exposed to it because it's, it was a KCK way for 150 plus years. So oh, to get back to what you're saying and what you guys have been asking is the culture that I've learned here in KCK is uh, a lot of it to do with your, your station and your crew, but also the demographics of the people you're serving. Like there, there's two different cultures. And when you say culture shock, there is a culture shock of difference between Manhattan, Kansas and KCK. And the same reasons, and I'll, I'll say this live, uh, the same reasons why my wife doesn't like living in KCK is the exact same reasons why I love working for KCK. Um, uh, there's, there's a lot of, there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of crime, but with a lot of crime comes a lot of jobs. We catch a lot of uh, car accidents, a lot of shootings, a lot of fires, and that parlays into the culture of your crew. So to end the, to end the question uh, that you asked, it comes down to your firehouse company, how well you work together, how well you know each other's strengths and weaknesses, um, even down to accountability on the fire ground. We don't have to hold hands and sing Kumbaya on the fire ground. No, when that rig pulls the air brakes, we jump off and we go to work while my boss is doing his thing to please those bosses. And someone goes, Hey, where's, where's your, where's your firefighter? Where's your back guy at? I'm like, I don't know. I'm working, but it's because it's personality. That's a part of the accountability. We all know where we're at. We all know what we're doing. And uh, there's a, there's a big difference. So I think, I think part of that big difference when you're talking about a, whether it's Cleveland or KTK or, you know, any large old, older organization that's been going for a long time and it's been busy, um, they've been able to do the team building through adversity, whether it's call volume or, you know, political pressure or whatever it is that the group has been able to, has had to work together to get through things. And that's team building. And that, that's why, that's why you see the corporate world. They, they take everybody to the office and they go play paintball or something. It's like they want to put their group of people into some, stressor that's common amongst everybody so that they have to lean on each other. But see, the fire service isn't like that. We don't have to come up with some mystical struggle. We know that what we're doing is life and death. And we understand that. And after a while, we take it for granted. But that is part of our team building experiences as, as the fire service. So I could, I could, completely agree with your point on demographics drives culture. And, and that's totally true because whatever you're dealing with day in and day out, uh, that becomes your priority. And then that becomes your actions. And then, and, and culture is driven by your actions on the job and off the job. So those are all. Yeah. 
guys, just one more thing in there. Oh, gosh, yeah. with, the, with, with what we said on our very first podcast three years ago, uh, we, we talked about culture and how to change that culture. If, if you don't have, if your fire department doesn't have the rich history of traditions or have a culture that's numb to uh, your demographics, how do you change that? Well, we discuss, you change it in academy. You start, you get your people who are passionate about the job, who are dialed in and start teaching at academy. I think you guys were talking about that before I came in. But w- what I'm experiencing right now with our fire department uh we have a, an interim chief called uh, Dennis Rubin, Chief Dennis Rubin. You guys may have heard of him. Um, and I tell you what, I don't know the guy. He doesn't know me from Adam. Uh, but he's doing some remarkable things with our fire department, who we thought we had our stuff together. But he's coming in and saying, hold the phone. You guys keep doing what you're doing in the fire room, which is superb. But let's get some things cleared up here. And he's he's cutting the red tape of all the other bullshit that got held up. And he's he's rising the morale up. We're seeing people starting to smile when they come to the jobs. Um, it, it's just a small victories that he's winning the men and women over. And whether it's a popular decision that he's making uh, amongst the people, he's making the decision. And the culture is improving amongst all 19 firehouses and all 450 people. So that, that's that 30,000 view if you want to add in the administration side of things. Because um, with with our, our former chief, it, it the culture was shit. The culture was shit. Hey, D, real quick. Yep. Um, something that just hit me, you know, and I, I may be totally off base. But that culture, you know, you said you build it through adversity, and that's what we have a lot of. But I think that culture has to be maintained and has to be monitored. Because say you go a couple of weeks without a fire, or a month without a fire, or some natural, if you don't give them something to focus that culture on, we all look, we're all firemen. They'll find something to focus on, and it may not be the right thing they need to focus on, it may be something else. Uh, sorry, my son just walked in, said hi. Go go away, oh, go away. No. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of like a kid. If you don't, if you don't give them something to work for, as a perfect example, they will find their own way. They will make their own adversity. And so I just try to keep everybody focused on, hey, let's let's keep it small, let's keep it in our house, and let's keep let's keep working on us. The big picture, we don't have control over. Hey, shoot. Michael, Michael was talking a lot about how this fire chief is getting buy-in from a lot of people on the department. You had to get buy-in from your last station assignment when you went to Engine 11. You didn't have to, but it was right that you did. You were the senior man coming into a different house. Uh, those guys that have been on 5, 10, even 20 years, you were you were coming in as you know, the senior man walking into engine 11, the new senior man at engine 11, what was it like? And then like, what was some of the things you may have re- remember about uh, getting buy-in from people? Well, I, I think a lot of it, you know, uh, first of all, when the, when the transfer order went out, 
you know, like a, like a big city, you got all these fire stations and whenever any movement of personnel takes place, you know, you've got your general orders and your uh, RFFs removed from file on this date or whatever. So the transfers, department-wide transfers, when it came out that, you know, I was leaving my old firehouse to go to Engine 11, nobody believed it. Nobody could believe it. And I even had phone calls. This is a joke, right? This can't be. They thought I was going to die, live and die in my old firehouse. But things have changed. Uh, the guys who I worked with for a long, long time retired or got promoted or or they themselves went to other firehouses. In fact, uh, one of them did go to 11th before me. And uh, he was the one who said, hey, why don't you come on down to Broadway Avenue? When I got to 11th's house, it was a house that had had a reputation that wasn't that great. In fact, in, in some cases, it was known as a house of hate because these guys didn't get along and this company, that, this, this, you know, whatever. So with that stuff going on, uh, one of the things was they had Engine 11 and Ladder 13 in there. Well, Ladder 13 was also the hazmat truck right down the street was the hazmat engine. And what they what was going on was they were going to remove that ladder, take it down to that firehouse down the street, and then organize a new ladder 11. So what we had was a bunch of guys going into the house. And there were guys, thankfully, from other firehouses in the city who, for whatever reason or another, wanted to get away from those houses. And when the openings came up for Levin's house, uh, they would put in. Fortunately, the guys were wanting to be there because Levin's neighborhood was, you know, going up in flames just about daily. And uh, it, it made those guys who wanted to do that job go to that firehouse. I walked in. I had, oh, God, I don't know how many years I had on a job at that time. But a lot of guys were like, oh, what's this guy doing here? Why did he come to this house after all those years, 17 years in that other firehouse that was, you know, very busy also, extremely busy? <laughs> uh, what's he doing here? I held my voice for a little while. I didn't say much. I was just scoping guys out and seeing who was who and what they did and things like that. Uh but when the fires come in, you know, of course, I have always loved having the nozzle in my hand. The guys couldn't believe, hey, here's a guy who's, you know, in his 50s who's, you know, fighting for the nozzle. And they took that as, wow, you know, this is something you're not hearing guys in other firehouses who got uh, time in a job say that I want the nozzle. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to train, whatever. So... My uh, attitude was, you know, we got some good guys coming together, and that's how John and I came together. Uh, you take a couple of guys who formed a nucleus on our shift, and it just grew from there. So in the firehouse, your firehouse life, I mentioned this when we were doing Brass Tacks Hard Facts, how one of your cultures or ways of doing business in the firehouse is by having your meals twice a day. 
So there's a few of us who cooked and cooked regularly. And, you know, you put together these, these meals that were <laughs> healthy, number one. And number two, you had plenty of it, you know, because you always figure two helpings a guy, you know. But, you know, it, it was like, holy cow. We had guys transfer, uh, not transferring, but uh, de- being detailed into our firehouse or catching overtime, you know, when we had an opening. And they go out of there thinking, oh, my God, you know, these guys, they work together well. They do all this stuff together. And when they're out of fire, it just falls into place, you know, like Micah was talking about. It's it's not a, it's not up for question about, well, what do we do? No, it just happened like that. Engine did engine work. Truck did truck work, you know. So we had a great thing going there. I, th- I think this is where we talk about how culture and tradition is action driven. And what you said there was a senior firefighter came in, he gave everybody the respect that that was due, but when the bell went off, wanted to work. There wasn't any entitlement attitude. There wasn't any disrespect. It was just, I want to be the best firefighter. Don't you? And and it, you kind of let it become a great company as the, as that company, uh, was reorganizing so there's there's an opportunity there whenever there's adversity so you you had a bunch of chaos going on with the administration where they're they're setting up new companies they're reorganizing a ladder company they're they're doing all these things around that station house it's chaos uncertainty this is these are the things that in the firehouse firefighters don't like we like chaos in the street we don't like it in our firehouse, and we don't like it in our personal lives, typically. And so you had a great opportunity there, and you probably weren't even cognizant of what was happening. You were just there to be around your friends, go to fires, and, and do your job and enjoy it. But what that did is that gravity, I spoke earlier about the gravity of the It pulls people in, and, and you're, the attitude of the senior men drives the day no doubt about it am i wrong oh no you're, you're right on you know and that was the other thing too you know about uh if you have an officer when a younger man came up with a question one time we're out in the street you know he says should we pull the booster and the, and the lieutenant says go ask a senior man senior man says pull the inch and three quarter done it's not up for debate it's just that simple. That's it. Jer- Jerry, if I can get back, get you back in the conversation here, uh, who leads when it comes to culture in the firehouse? Who's supposed to be leading that? Can anybody lead it? Yeah, you can have official leaders, you know, your, your officers. You can have your unofficial leaders like the senior guy, you know. Um, I think what we're getting at is, is setting a common goal. The common goal can be, like Jeff just said, just eating together, or the common goal can be to be the best engine company, which is kind of what we do with our training, right? We we, we, we train the guys to get the line in, in play quickly, to be able to advance the nozzle quickly. Um, so that common goal of being the good engine company or the good truck company or the best engine company. And I think the officers and the senior guys need to, you know, going back to what you said, Jeff, the, the expectation has got to be there. But that common goal, whatever it might be, and there may be multiple goals, like you said. Yeah, I think that 
I mean, formally as, as, as shift leaders, we should be sitting down either with each other or the, uh, the senior men and like saying, Hey, what's, what's a goal that we want to accomplish here with, with our group this year. Um, and then make sure you touch back with that in a few months, maybe in six months, just like, Hey, are we, are we getting close to this? Like we, we said we wanted to be the best engine company in the city. Are we there? Where, where else do we need help? And I think there's got to be a reward at the end. So the guys know that they got somewhere and achieved, you know, took that step on the ladder. Uh, my hazmat guys, I got four or five new hazmat guys and we're working on a pro board class now. And and they just keep that we have a common goal. You know, they all show up at the same time for training. They're into it. They're, they're doing it. They're literally doing their homework, which is shocked the hell out of me because they, 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 they're, they want that goal. You know, they want that pro board cert. And uh, going back to your question, I think it's the leaders opportunity. Leaders have letters. Leaders have the opportunity and the required responsibility actually to, you know, plan that out, help them plan it out and make sure there's a reward at the end, you know, uh, and a reward doesn't need to be something. I mean, it's just self It could be self-satisfaction that, Whatever it so might be, you know, we got, me, it, we got sounds the first. Like, it sounds like you handed some responsibility to a group. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think when we do that as leaders on, on shift, if we hand some responsibility to some other people um, and they already have your respect, what you're giving them is a purpose. And that is really all you ever need to give to a firefighter is some purpose. And they should like they're going to go after it like a junkyard dog in my experience. Just that's what they're looking for. They're looking for some trust. They're looking for some responsibility and they're looking for a goal. So I, I think that's where we should go. Um, so if if you guys don't mind, if you could think of a moment where you gave somebody on shift the responsibility, whether it was the smallest thing or something significant, I'd like to hear it. I mean, these are the examples that that maybe we don't even think about. Like, wow, that actually made a difference in that guy's career. Um, it's the little things. I really, I really think it's the little human things where like you look at somebody who you've been working for five, six, seven years and you give them like, Hey, I need you to do this. And they come back and not only did they do it, but they blew your socks off doing it. It was crazy. Right. So, um, I could give you an example where I, I asked a, a younger firefighter to explain a piece of equipment on, on the apparatus. I said, I need you to look at this. And after lunch, I want you to explain to our very new probationary firefighter. And he looked at me like, why? You're the lieutenant. You go around teaching people stuff. Why do you? And I'm like, listen, I, I want you to understand this thing so well that when he gives you a question, I want you to be able to answer it. And so just do all you can to learn about this particular thing. You can ask me, we can go over it over lunch, but you know, when we, we sit down for the drill this afternoon, I want you to, I want you to go over this. And man, it was, I didn't have to say a word. I mean, like the afternoon, like took it and ran. And he's like, did I, did I miss anything? I'm like, no, you didn't miss a damn thing. That, that was better than I could have done. It was perfect. And, and throughout the year, I saw more of an intense interest. It was a really positive experience. As a shift officer, it was a great experience. But uh, just as a human being, seeing this guy, you know, like, oh, I, I do have a stake in this. You know, I, I, I am getting listened to. So it was, it was an excellent 
piece and it worked well. He's a young firefighter. He's only been on five, six, seven years, I think, yeah, maybe seven years. But um, he, he's been the guy that shows up every day, doesn't say much, just gets to work. He's a great kid to have on my department. Um, just had to give him a little bit, you know, and he went to the next level. So uh, if you guys could think of somebody that you had an experience with, I'd love to hear it. Chad or Micah? Um, so, you know, when you asked this question, I thought back and um, when I, when I got, when I made Lieutenant, they transferred me and I got to a new crew and, you know, the crew they'd been together. Uh, three of them are still with me now, or two of them are still with me now, but they were filling me out just as well as, you know, I was trying to learn them. And as an officer, I can't tell you, and it was my senior man I did it to. And I mean, at the time he had probably seven years and that was the senior man for me. But when I looked at him and I said, Hey, what do you want to do? How do you want to handle this? And it wasn't like a fire or anything like that. And he goes, Hey cap, I have an idea. Yeah. Let me hear it. And then when we did, I go, absolutely. Let's do that. And you know, they are perfectly capable firefighters they are great. They don't need me to tell them what to do. But the fact that I stopped and actually empowered him to say, Hey man, I can listen to you. And this is not an ego thing. We'll do what you want. You know, Hey, how are we going to handle this? That's a great idea. Let's handle it this way. I think we had to move a big tree out of a road. Uh, one of those tornado things came through, but he was like, it gave him so much, you know, and then it let him know that I'm not going to bite his head off and I, you can't step on my toes. Um, you know, there are times, you know, that I don't want people to do that. And now, you know, we talk about the new firefighters and I talked about how we get them with three to five years experience. We started something, we do a little Academy the first week they're there. And surprisingly, for some reason, they have me do all the hose and nozzles. And basically I put these guys through, a strategic fire class, you know, one-on-one show them every hose. They don't have to memorize the pressures, make sure they have their grips down. But what I've enjoyed seeing is when I do this, I take myself out of service, go to the training tower and work with these new guys their first week. And to see my firefighters take over and start teaching where I don't have to. And there it's like, okay, they got the message. They're saying the same thing I do, you know, it's they want to be in they don't want to be in charge of stuff but they want to teach everybody wants to help somebody new and they all have stuff to contribute and a lot of times you know it's like you say we never know what you don't know and you really don't get exposed until you start traveling you know what sometimes somebody might have an idea that's different than you and it's a better way of doing it and you got to be open to that and you don't want to curtail it to where they're afraid to say anything yeah yeah, I think you, you treat them as grown men and, and what you'll get is a grown man response on almost every every issue, including, you know, tactical considerations. Uh, Jerry, can you can you go a little further on this? Is there an experience you can remember where you, you handed off some responsibility to somebody and they, they came through? Yeah, I give you two quick ones. Um, I was just uh, I was early in my career and I was helping teach a uh, recruit class. And uh, the senior instructor, who was a really great guy, he, um, I was standing in the back of the room. He says, come up and teach SCBA. I'm like, I'm really not prepared. And he looked at me and went, 
you'll do all right. So just like you said, he gave you that, he gave me that responsibility. And that for me was a, a turning point that, you know, you just, you're not the guy sitting in the back of the room anymore. You need to take some leadership responsibility here and, and do it. And um, a lot of times we'll have a hazmat drill, I'll have a bunch of guys show up and I'll go, Jeff, kind of just like you said, Hey, tonight you're going to teach this instrument. You're going to teach this instrument. You're going to teach that. And I'll get the same thing from the guys. Well, I'm really not ready. I said, well, you got 15 minutes, get your stuff ready, and then we'll do stations. And uh, they all do real well, you know. Um, and then the other guys help them. If they see them stumbling, they help. And it, it helps kind of make that, um, what do you call it, that common goal, you know. And they're, they're working together, which is just, just what you want. Uh, Jeff. I don't have any responsibility at KCK as a new guy, so I think I just <laughs> I, I just get dirty with the with the new new guys to show them that some old guy like me can uh, still do the the probe stuff. You know what's important though? I think we're missing something. Is that and and the Navy SEALs are good at this. They talk about training down the tra- chain of command and training up the chain of command, and I, I think. We've said it a couple of times. We all want to train a new guy, and you get a lot of satisfaction from that because you see a skill level go from crap to acceptable. But um, I think we need to remember as a leader and as a middle management guy that we need to train up the chain of command, and, and it's a little bit different. It's a little bit – need to be a little more tactful as well as training down the chain of command. I shouldn't say training, but working okay. at those different levels. I'll, I'll bite. Get – how do I train up the chain of command? But what am I doing here? How's that going to look? Well, it's got to be, it's, it's very um, fragile and it's very touchy, but you know, you have responsibility to probably trains the wrong word, but, but uh, I think like Chad was saying, the officers have to be acceptable for the the newbie to go, Hey, uh, I'm a landscaper guy. I know how to move this tree. Okay, let's go with it. You know, that, that kind of thing. Just what Chad was just talking about. They're probably not training, but. You know, D, I, I don't think this one, <laughs> I'm not trying to steal the show here, but um, from what Nap was saying, again, I'm coming into a department. I've been here for three years now. I've served every role in the Manhattan Fire uh, when I was there for 15 years. So the train up, as Nap said, I walk very sensitive and diplomatically with the guys who are my officers and I don't show them up, but they do reach out and say, Hey, you have a suggestion on this or what would you have done in this situation? Or if we're on a freaking fire alarm investigation and uh, this is, they, they see me pull out some fire alarm panel keys. They're like, how the, how the hell did you have those? Or how do you know how to have those? And you just show them like, hey, man, when I was an officer, this this is one thing I had in my pocket all the time was fire alarm panel keys. And, uh, I think it just sparked them to get a little more, not educated, but to know something beyond what they were taught to go, okay, there, there are other avenues of education and learning out there where I want to be like, I want to be like someone like this. So I, I, I was, I've been able to train some people up as a probie, <laughs> showing them how to do a report, showing them how to do a fire investigation, things that are in their real house that they get paid the big bucks to do. But I'm not egotistical to say, no, nah, I'm going to let you burn. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. 
as, as long as you can do so in a, in a humble way where you're, I guess, sharing your experience, like Jerry just said, Hey, I'm a landscaper. I know how to move a tree. You got to be able to put yourself in that back seat and go, the man's a landscaper. He's going to be able to move this tree. And it, you know, same thing. You, know, you just got to have a little humility about you. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, Jeff, I think the big culture change, too, that we're seeing now is the younger people kind of when, when I joined and when I joined the fire service, just shut up and do it this way we do it, do it this way. The younger people now, and I think it's a positive culture shift is they have access to all the electronics. You know, when when we were taught to search, we never had a tick. Right? I did a search the other day. I, I forgot to get the tick. But the younger guys, they have they 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 use the, the electronics and the modern stuff. I think better than we did. Uh, I think that's a positive, you know, we always mash on the younger guys, but I think that's a positive shift, you know? You know, Uh, Jerry, they have access to everything Mm -hmm. and they have it right here. And if you don't show them something, they, or if you're showing them something, they'll find five videos on YouTube Mm -hmm. and show you a different way to do it. Mm -hmm. And they are instant gratification. When they mm-hmm. have a, they want, they want to solve a problem immediately mm-hmm. and from what I've seen. And, you know, a lot of times you just got to let them go and, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't hurt anything. It empowers them. Like we said earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's a, a, a good part of this. Uh, when you're, when you have this opportunity to stand between, the generations like Jerry and Jeff Shoup and you got young people down, you know, mm-hmm. on your, like you're standing in the gap, like here's the guys that made their bones in the warriors. And then here's the information generation where they've got mm-hmm. their access to fires is thousands of everybody else's fires in a video. Mm-hmm. Context, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a different context, but it's still exposure so hot, you know, it, it's a difficult place to be because you don't want to borrow somebody else's experience without their blood, sweat, and tears. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something I learned from from Shoop was that this you know, this idea that you can just pick from somebody else's life experience and tell every, and pre- preach to the world that hey, this is how you fight fire. But you don't know why you're doing those things. You don't know why that works to fight that fire because, you know, the people ahead of you literally uh, were maimed and killed trying to learn how to fight fire. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's important that you you pay homage to how we got here. But the younger generation, once you explain why you do it that way, man, it just clicks and they're off. They're off to the mm-hmm. races and they'll always do it that way. So I, I like that part about the younger generation because they challenge mm-hmm. me as an instructor, as a leader. They want to know why. And you should know why. If you're mm-hmm. if you're telling somebody why, you know, how to do something, you should be able to tell them the why. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the most important thing before we go through is if you don't know why or you don't know the why, it's okay. And I said this three years ago, it's okay to admit that you don't know it. Mm-hmm. It is better than making up something just so you don't look bad. I'd much rather say, hey, I don't know, but I'm on a gas leak. I know a guy, and uh, I'm going to call him right now, and we're going to find out why. And 
give the credit where it's due. And the, the, the culture of allowing that that flow of information up and down a chain of command, that's the culture we want. And that's the culture as good leaders we should be creating, I think, especially in the, in the hazmat world. You know, my favorite word is I don't know because there's just so many things to know and, and you know, but we can find out. So, Chad, I think you're exactly right. That, that culture of allowing that information to flow up and down. Because, you know, and I know Shoop remembers this. The first time I ran into a frozen hydrant, I, I have no freaking idea what to do, but I know a guy that does. We're going to call him <laughs> right now. Jeff, you want to weigh in, buddy? You want <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm 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 just loving what I'm hearing from you guys, you know, and I appreciate all the uh, accolades that you're giving me, you know. I I know the, the the job, the culture, traditions have all come under attack in my time. So I'm oh god, close to fifty years. And I, I don't like a lot of the stuff I've seen, but it's also uh, something about leadership in the, in the fire service. It's interesting when Bob Halton was still alive and him and I were talking one time recently and he was saying, and you guys probably heard the same thing, that there were so many people asking for classes dealing with leadership. Well, why is it? Well, how is it that we can have all this information, access to the media, access to whatever's happening anywhere in the country or even the world for that matter, and not know what it takes to be a fire service leader? Are we dealing with egos that are out of control? As Jeff brought up, are we having these young uh, people or people from uh, small background, taking stuff from other people, trying to plug it in like it's theirs, but they don't really have it. And that's pr providing I, I, uh, a false presentation. Because as you say, it's, it's, it's not their life. It's not what they've done. So people pick up on that. So do we lose it? Getting back to that leadership thing. You know, we always say leadership starts at the top. And the old thing about, you know, uh, leadership, information flows up so orders can come down. So everything starts at the top, no matter how big of a fire department you are. And as you get a bigger operation, then that's where your chain of command should expand with the size of the organization. But everybody's got to be on the same page. So the other thing I want to say Sadly, we've become a litigious society, you know, and the other thing is we've lost respect for the senior people and also for fire department organizations. If you have going back to that new person that I was talking about earlier who thinks they're going to come into your fire station and flop down on the lounge chair and act like they've been there 10 or 12 years already, you can't let that happen. Sadly, if you say something, that person might go past the chain of command, break the chain of command, which should be an offense in any fire department, to go complain. So the, we got that problem. And then, of course, we have human resources. And that, that's one of those weird things where corporate America has, has seeped into 
every facet of, of life and, and including the fire service. So if, if there's a human resource officer trying to apply, you know, everything that they've learned about human psychology at Columbia to uh, a fire department, that's not going to go over well with the actual tradition and cultures in a fire service. So the, those human resource officers, though their intentions are good, they're really playing with a pool of of uh, personalities that is not like anything else in 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 uh, in America. We we are not in business. We we are here to provide a life saving service, and with that comes a different set of principles and honesty and integrity and quite honestly, toughness, mental and physical. The uh, human resource people uh, and elected officials. And I've I've had experience with both of those uh, in a job. And of course, you know, as an elected official in my hometown. And I remember having a couple of council members present at a meeting one time, and I was there. And they were talking about public safety. And I asked the one council member, so, sir, when was the last time you pulled a hose line into a burning building? And he responded in front of everybody, too. It was a packed house. You know, I've never done that. And I asked the other councilman who was backing this guy up on this subject, which we don't need to get into. When's the last time you had to apprehend a hardcore felon out in the streets? And of course, his answer was no. I says, here you are, people making decisions about public safety, fire department, police department, whatever. And you have no experience in what you're making a decision about. That's human resources right there. People who are trying to push their ideas when they know nothing about the inner workings of the fire service. And it's hurt over time that I that I see because, again, a lot of the old disciplines and so forth, you know, in the old days, a lot of problems you didn't hear about because they were taken care of within. Like you've heard me say, Chad, you know, the you know, I worked in the God squad and God, man, he did have the power and his hand, his crews were all handpicked. And here I am, just a little punk ass kid, you know, and he says, son. You have any problems, you take them to my senior men, they'll take care of them. And if they can't take care of them and your problem gets to me, you got a big problem. You know, that's when he's got to step in. And uh, that's the way it used to be. And if something happened within, you generally took care of it. That's what company level officers, especially the captain of the company, was all about. But because people have broken the chain of command and we've got into, oh, you can make a lawsuit because you've been wronged or whatever. That's a bunch of blue gas, you know? I think the the best tradition of the fire service is taking responsibility. When you, when the way you're saying it, like this, who you worked with, he was given the, the authority because of his level of responsibility, right? And, and so he was, and he was giving that down. He's like, hey, listen, you talk to my senior man. If he can't handle it, you have a big problem. He's saying that in a way that either you've got a problem that needs my authority or you've got a big problem with yourself personally. Um, 
And I want to make the point that it wasn't a situation. Again, this guy's reputation was, oh my God, department wide. You know, you know, I, I, I could, I could tell you exa- uh, when I was just a probie sitting at a probationer. We, we were called uh, uh, recruits or cadets in, in Cleveland. You know, I'm at the watch desk. The phone rings. Squad two, shoot. And hey, Shoop, is God there? Yeah, this is coming from another officer working in one of the other firehouses in the city, and you knew who they wanted to talk to. And that's the way you know that 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 people's reputations and power and so forth used to be. And uh, well, it's 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 something that if we could get back to, it'd be a different game. You'd have. I won't say less problems because of society and its changes and so forth. But, you know, if we could go back there and take a look at that, a lot of those ways were good ways of doing business. Yeah. Listen, if I could, uh, if I could just hit a couple of highlights here and then we go around and uh, get your comments in, cause we're, we're pushing an hour already. But when it comes to culture, I, I think it's important that people understand that, uh, if you don't have a tradition, then you need to start one. And if if you're wondering what to do for team building because you don't have the fire volume, then find things to do inside and outside of the firehouse with your groups to make that happen. And then find a way to identify yourselves, whether it's your crew, your shift, or your firehouse, or all three. Find a way to to to. So when visually, when people look at you guys, they know, hey, that's engine three over there, whether you're on or off duty, right? It makes sense to me. What do you think, Jeff? Oh, yeah. Hey, one of the things I wanted to uh, go back to with that captain was that when he's telling you that you take your problems to to the senior firefighter, that person is not removing themselves from that process. Because I got to tell you, uh, I remember uh, when he would come up to me and said, you know, like, like it's one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon after lunch in the firehouse. He says, son, meet me in the back of the squad in five minutes. You know what he was doing? He was making sure that I knew everything that he was going to ask me. That was going to be about anything that could be in that squad truck. And then another time he walked into the kitchen with a piece of rope. He says, tie this for me. Tie that for me. You may have to tie the hitch that I have to go over the side of the building. And I go, oh, okay. Letting me know about the seriousness of being on his unit and knowing your job. So, but that's, that's, you know, like I said, you know, it, it wasn't that he was shirking himself of his responsibility. Oh, no, 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 no. You were, you were being trained by the senior people and watched over by the senior people. And he was like the Papa bear. Yeah. Okay. And that's just the old captains, you know, or the old way of doing business. So yeah, Jerry, I mean, what the heck It's just life and death. It's only a matter, only a matter of life and death. Ours, ours most of the time. (laughs) You know, one of the things I think, um, I think when we talk about culture, what do do we want, right? We want a winning team in our firehouse. We want that culture to be culture of winners. It pays to be a winner, right? Um, Especially in our business, if you lose, Jeff, like you said, it is a matter of life and death. But I think we may have gone wrong, especially in the volunteer side. We've 
missed the opportunity to train our lieutenants and captains and assistant chiefs um, to be good leaders in the firehouse. Because what are we asking them? We're asking them to take people from obviously a variety of different perspectives and mold them into a team that can perform life and death functions effectively. And um, I, I think, and, and I think we've kind of fallen into that trap here tonight. We all want to talk about training the probie. Well, that's great, but when the when when the firefighter makes lieutenant or his first promotion, most of his problems or most of his responsibilities aren't on the fire ground. They're like like Shoup was saying, making sure Jerry knows how to tie this knot, right? And, and I'm not sure as the entire fire service we've done a good job training the firehouse leaders. Tactically, we've probably done a good job, but. You know, what do you do when a guy comes to you and says, hey, my wife wants to divorce or the guy comes to you and says, hey, look, uh, I just started shooting up drugs or, you know, I want to kill my brother-in-law. What should I do? You know, so I think we've may have missed some of those training goals for our mid uh, level our firehouse guys, our firehouse officers that that make the culture that we expect to make the culture. And, and some are good at it and some aren't. And we've that's kind of what we've talked about tonight. Uh, Jeff, how's our time right now? Uh, we're we're pushing it. We're a little bit over an hour. What do you got? Well, the, what Jerry's just talking about, I think we can go into this a little bit. So we've seen where young people are getting promoted to their first level as a lieutenant, or if their department doesn't have lieutenants, you go right to captain. Uh, we see that in many situations. Now, you guys have mentioned earlier tonight, you know, about the lack of fires or the low number of fires that many, many, many fire departments don't see. Okay. So that thing about being a young officer with little fire experience, but trying to get your education for firefighting online. How do you feel about that? Because those guys that you're talking about, how long are they going to stay in that position before they want to go up the ladder to the next rung? And then after that and so forth. So are we promoting young people too quick? Should we say there should be 10, 12 years before you can go up the uh, ladder to that first step after being a firefighter? Uh, we used to have that program. I think it's still out there about firefighters uh, and the journeyman uh, training uh, to, to, to see that we at least have a minimum level to put people out on the street. So you, you, you see if, if you have young people getting promoted who don't know the culture, don't learn the culture, don't respect the culture or the traditions, and they're going up the ladder, well, what's it going to be like when they get to the top or they get there in the upper ranks of the administration? You're not going to have anything. And you can have, as Mike has brought out, you know, other problems because it's just chaos and everybody does their own thing. And that's, that's where we're going. So I was going to throw that out there for you guys. Yeah, I think for those departments that are growing really fast or, you know, the the occasion of where a young person three, five, seven years gets, gets their first button and they move up. Uh, it's a lot harder than any book they've ever had to memorize. That's for sure. I mean, 
like Jerry said, when the first time somebody walks in your office with a real personal problem and they're coming to you because they're they're telling you that their personal life isn't is out of control, it's gonna affect work. That's why they're standing in front of you. Um if you don't have any whiskers on you in your own personal life because you're still in your young twenties, this is a lot for you to process. I mean Problem solving gets easier as you get older because you've seen more problems. Cause uh, <laughs> more problems. It's, <laughs> it's, and that's it's, what experience, experience, and time in the business is all about. But but I think we can we can train some of that out. And maybe the personal examples I use were bad, but we we, we put a guy we put a guy in a position as a lieutenant or captain, and we expect him to be able to do things that he hasn't been trained to do. Um, you know, look at the, the, the military academies here. My, we're West Point, I live in the shadow of West Point here. They take four years to make the lowest level officer in the United States Army. And most of that's leadership training. And like some of it's tactical and strategic stuff, but some of it's how do you deal with the things that we just talked about? And, and to keep that culture, the minute, the minute that guy comes to you with his personal problem and you blow him off, Jeff, I think you'd agree, right? He's he's done. You've lost that guy, right? Yeah. Not only is he done, but you as a leader are done because Correct. you've lost all all your gravity with anybody else that finds out about it, and mm-hmm. everybody else is going to find out about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how it's going to go. On the, on the positive side, that's that training, like like Shoop was saying. You know, if, if your captain or your lieutenant, make sure you can tie that double doofus knot. Hey, that's that's a positive thing, you know. Yeah, Chad. I think. And it kind of goes, they want instant gratification. And down here in Texas, where there's so many departments that have no experience, we're seeing, hey, we're promoting guys. And I always tell everybody, hey, man, it's a 30-year career. You're not in it for – it's not a sprint. It's a long haul. Get good and enjoy what you do before you start to move up. And, I mean, you don't have to do it all in the first five years. Uh (laughs) <laughs> you, the goal is 30 years. And I also think, and when Shoup has taught me this as well, I was, I was a big history buff. You have to, history usually has a way of repeating itself, especially in the fire service, the fire service circle of life. You know, something that's going to, it's going to, it's happened before and it will happen again. And you just need to recognize when it's coming and they can help. You can learn. And that's the, that's the most important thing, I think, is that we learn from, you know, like you said earlier, the people that maim themselves learning how to fight fire, we learn from their experiences. And we take the good and the bad with it. That's why we have all these line of duty deaths, so we can learn from them. The, the line of duty death reports, NIOSH reports, you know, for the inexperienced people, you have to learn from the ones that are making decisions that didn't go well, and you have to learn from the ones that make them that go well. Let, let me Let me throw – the counter to the NIOSH reports. You guys have all read NIOSH reports on fatalities, right? Sure. Okay. At the back's end, you'd always see what the recommendations were. And Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you would take a look at those recommendations, weren't they all the same from one fire to the next or seemed to be the same from one fire to the next? Mm-hmm. And yet this fire happened in California. This fire happened in Arizona. This one happened in Massachusetts and things like that. Different kinds of buildings, different kind of construction, different kind of contents, you know, but th- nevertheless, it happened. 
okay? What I'm trying to make as a point is that you just can't read a NIOSH report and say, oh, we'll make sure that never happens here. That's impossible to say because this goes back, back to what we say in our group, and that is firefighting is circumstantial. It happens anywhere in any kind of building under any kind of conditions, under any type of environment, all these different things, the kind of fire department, the staffing, all the, the resources and so forth that, that can impact on what happens. So, And it's never the same in the same building. All right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I think it's been uh, a great discussion. Micah, you want to jump in on anything before we kind of round this out? Oh. Yeah, I'll just in kind of what Knapp was saying earlier as uh, a former captain at another fire department. I was, uh, you know, we were approached questions that you guys have all been discussed, marital issues, financial issues. And they always go to their officers or the people they respect. So how do you find those answers if you're that person that's being asked? And I just, um, well, I'm going to, I, I usually don't bring this up and I, I hate identifying as this, but I've had the opportunity to watch my father-in-law when he coached for a hundred years at K-State. He not only taught the X's and O's to the men on the playing field, but he took that family concept beyond the white lines. See where I'm going with this? He, yeah, get he personal. Treated, yeah, get personal. I mean, I, I don't have the answers. I'm not a, a priest or a counselor, but I tell you what, if I show you a little compassion for the problems that you may be occurring, we may have different avenues to help you get through them. So uh, it is as simple as it gets. When people say, why should my son go to K-State to play football for your father-in-law? I, we usually say, because not only will he become a boy, he'll become into a man and he'll carry that on beyond his career at the football stand. He'll play as a football player between the white lines, but you can guarantee that he's going to get an education. He's going to learn responsibilities and be accountable for his actions. Just like any one of us would want our kids to go work for somebody like that. Um, he took that family concept to heart. So I think if officers would take some of that into consideration, reading books about from Leo Stapleton to Dennis Smith to Coach Vince Lombardi, I mean, you can find someone that you can have a passion to be like just as an officer. Don't be that, that asshole that you don't have the family compassion for your guys and gals because we all know this is a, a sensitive world these days. So I was just trying to help out what Nat was saying. Makes a, lot, makes a lot of sense, Mike. I mean, and then we missed it this last discussion. We, um, er, the culture, it, it without personal investment, you don't have it. I mean, that's I think the very basic building block of a culture is that you got a group of people that care about each other, and you need to generally be all in. You know, you gotta you gotta love your organization. You have to realize that you're part of something bigger, but you got to you got to respect the guy next to you, like him or not. But you still have to respect him and, and do the right thing. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. Thank you, Jeff, Jerry, Chad. You guys want to help us sign off here? Chad's out. We'll be in Oregon in two weeks. <laughs> if you're in the area, 
Come see us. Oh, yeah. Back on the road. We're, we're out uh, helping out, do some training out in Oregon. And, Base uh, of what? Mount St. Helens? What's the city? Scapoose. Columbia, Columbia River, I think we're going to be at. Columbia River Fire uh, District. Excellent. Scapoose. Got a nice training center up there. Real nice. Right. We've been there before. So. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode. Uh, we hope that we can uh, get back to you next month for another episode. For everybody at Strategic Fire Training, I say, be safe.